DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, boom! DJ and PK, time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant, former staff member at Utah. Tim, good morning. Good morning. So, Tim, we have been discussing a question which you are uniquely qualified to answer. Or some would say. No, you really are. (laughs) So, BYU, trying to close the gap with Gonzaga. And we saw BYU, after getting handled easily twice by the Zags, the third time, they jump out to a big lead, they're hitting shots, Gonzaga's defense, and they weren't really interested in pressuring guys 20, 25 feet from the hoop. But they got down 12 at halftime, and suddenly they were interested in that. And Kispert got hot, and that made it a game really quickly. And then the last four minutes, they were the better team, and they pulled away. So that's a one-game a one deal. But to pull a program alongside of Gonzaga, can BYU do that? How do you do that and sustain it? What hurdles does BYU have to overcome? Obviously, there are going to be some recruiting hurdles, and depending on how you recruit, there might be pushback from some of the fan base. Can that gap be closed aside from few retires and or few leaves? You know, I don't uh, – I wasn't very successful at chasing down the Zags. Um, you know, we, 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 we certainly got the better of them a few times, but, um, you know, they are – that number one by their name is pretty ominous. And, you know, just for those that, that aren't aware, that's number one in the country. That's not number one in the conference, um, although they're number one in the conference, too. Um, it, it's just what they have going there is, is really amazing. I, I think uh, it, it really is kind of a, a situation where now they're getting, you know, they're, they're in the mix right now for the number one player in the country next year. Um, and Suggs wasn't far off. So they continue to really kind of elevate their program. Um, but I think what we saw last night, I mean, you know, it reminded me of a game. I All the years run together, but we were we were in a game there in the Orleans late um, that was tight, um, like that game was. I think last night at six minutes it was tied. And, um, you know, you got to credit BYU with a great effort. But I think the thing that, you know, you wake up this morning – as a coach at BYU, administrator, I think those are the very things that are on your mind. Uh, as great a, a game and season as it was, you know, there's there's unfinished business. You know, you want to hang a banner. You want to win the league. You want to win a conference tournament. And Gonzaga's pretty good at that. So um, I, I think things are trending in the right direction. And I, I really like the direction Mark's recruiting. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the hard part is you can work on your hand, but the guy across the, the table's got a hand as well, and you have no chance to influence that hand at all. You just got to play yours. So how would we be received in the BYU community if they fielded teams that had uh, no starters who'd served a mission and they're all transfers coming out, or most of them anyway, and don't fit the historical BYU mode? Well, uh, you know, I, I can only speak from experience in that, um, you know, BYU is a, a place that is, is a, 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 you know, for members of the church, and then you, you put guys that play basketball on top of that. 
you know, you, you're always going to have that <laughs> that draw of getting the best players. I think what, you know, um, I honestly believe, because I've seen this everywhere, regardless of the makeup of the squad, really the only thing that matters, because I think everybody can get behind a winner. Um, you know, if a team is made up differently, I, I really think what – BYU did bring in Gideon George in his story. You know, I think there's there's ways that you can bring transfers um, and guys in that aren't part of the of the faith, but I think that it can really be a promising thing. Can you build your entire roster that way? Uh, I'm glad I'm not the one trying because I would imagine that'll rock the boat. But you know, I think I think Mark's smart. He's gonna. He's going to continue to get the best players he can that want to be there, and then they're going to do a great job of of finding kind of and discovering guys that maybe don't seem like a natural fit that, that look like um, you know that they belong here. Well, you bring up several questions uh, w- when you say that, and so I guess I'm thinking, well, you can't build a roster completely out of transfers. But if you had a core of guys who were the traditional local guy you recruit, some go on missions, maybe some don't, but most probably do. Uh, I guess the question then is, is the local high school and AAU scene producing enough of those guys, or are there going to be years, even back-to-back years, where you just have to pass because if you take somebody, the best guy really isn't good enough to get to the level you want to get at with Gonzaga. You know, I think that's a decision you've got to make uh, in-house. I mean, our, I can tell you what our philosophy was. Our philosophy was to get the very, very best player we could, obviously, that had a, a keen interest and desire, and BYU was on their list. You know, that it, was a, it was guys like... You know, the Haas. You know, people think that TJ and Ty were just done deals. And, you know, TJ was more so because his process was different. But, you know, Ty went right to the wire. Ty was going to go to Stanford. And and thank God we got him because uh, we all know what he did at BYU. And so I think um, – I, I do believe I, – I think if you look up the makeup of BYU's rosters over time, um, you know, you're always going to try to get those guys. And then from there, it's really, you know, we, we had some success, you know, going in and, and fishing out of different ponds. You know, we, we, we made a, some inroads down in Vegas with, uh, with, with Gorman down there, and we were able to get a couple players out of Vegas. And, um, you know, we jumped hard into uh, understanding junior college and tried to take guys that made, made sense. Um, but I really do think as far as Mark's plan and vision, um, you know, pretty much everything he talked about, uh, early on, I think that those things are in play and, you know, this is two years in a row that, you know, last year, if there's a tournament, they're in it. And this year, you know, they've earned their way in and I know how hard that is, man. It's hard to do. And they did a great job in the regular season, you know, to make sure that at this point they're in. Um, there were a lot of tenuous moments for us in this this week off. Um, so can you can you exclusively do it? I don't know um, because I didn't do it. But I, I think that the the staff has a great great feel for 
what works and what doesn't. And I think BYU is evolving a little bit. I mean, you know, I, you can just look at the hair. <laughs> I was talking in passing with a buddy of mine down there, works there, and like, man, I, I, we had zero Mohawks in the time I was there. And, uh, you know, anytime we had facial hair, we got letters. And, so, I mean, I think things are evolving just in time, too. So um, hopefully all those things coupled together, Mark can just continue to build this thing. What do you think Elias Solo brings to the Jazz? Um, you know what? He, he's a stretch guy. He's a guy that another guy that can step out on the floor. I think it diversifies when they go big. Um, we talked about it. We haven't seen a whole lot of favors in, in Rudy, but there are times where you want to go a little bigger. And what he provides is a, a capable, you know, thirty-six percent career. Is that right? Three-point shooter, um, a guy that can step out and shoot it. It gives you some size. Um, you know, I think with uh, with George, you know, it may impact George a little bit because he may get some of those minutes. But I, but I think it's uh, it's just an opportunity, a way for the Jazz to be a little bit more versatile. And as the playoffs come, to be able to have, you know, you got to have a couple different ways and lineups to play in the NBA that match um, and maybe even create an advantage. So I'd say that's what he's there for. 36.5% career three-point shooter. If you go back, there are... Th- I was off. I'm sorry. Here, there, no, you're, uh, that was the point as you were on. The, uh, yeah. There were three years in his 20s, uh, two in Milwaukee, and then a portion of a season in Orlando, not a full season, where he did shoot over 40%. There were two years in Milwaukee. He shot 44 and 45%. So he wasn't shooting as many then. If you get him to be selective... Maybe you find spots on the floor. How much can the Jazz coaches tweak and make this better? And how much is this an insurance policy, a 10th guy for occasional matchups, and we shouldn't overthink it? Or if there's an injury, you know, then someone you can plug in, maybe someone who would be better suited to play out basketball and has more experience than Mieoni, who right now looks like the guy before the, this move that you would be plugging in, but you might be plugging into a series, you know, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, whoever that's maybe a little more than uh, he can handle at this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's what he – I mean, if I, if I were to guess, I don't, I don't think they made a move for a rotational player here. I think I think the, the move is, is like exactly what you and I said, to diversify the bench to, um, you know, to, to see what a guy who can come in there at the floor, just like we see with George, keep the floor space and spread. Uh, I think he's really going to – Elisova is really going to benefit from the way the ball moves here. Um, you know, I think he, he saw something. You know, Milwaukee has a, a good idea offensively, but it does stop a lot with Giannis and, um, and Middleton. And I think what he, I think he'll be impressed the way the, the ball flies around. And when the ball flies around, that just indicates that the, the defense is a step behind it. And, you know, because the ball, the ball is the most important thing. It can move quicker. So if you can move that thing like the Jazz are moving it and share it, I think he'll really benefit from that in his time on the floor. We know going in the All-Star break, the Jazz lost, what, three out of four, four out of seven. And so there was obviously a little bit of slippage, which could be expected because they were winning at such a phenomenal rate. With that in mind, how important is these first few games coming out of the break? I think they're huge. Um, you know, I think if you kind of compare it to a, a game, um, you know, we basically at halftime. And so it's important to come out and be, be sharp, uh, to be really good and, and not show any weakness. Um, I thought last night, 
you know, BYU and the Gonzaga game is a perfect example. I think that BYU really was free and easy and played hard. And, and, but I also believe Gonzaga gave them a little more real estate than they typically do. Uh, at halftime, I think two things happened. I think BYU got a little tight with the lead. Um, and that coupled with Gonzaga being a little bit more um, prone to guarding them closer, uh, you know, that kind of flipped the game back to even. And what the Jazz want to do, really, in this is they just want to keep distance between themselves. And in order to do that, you got to continue to play well. I haven't seen um, any indication that the Jazz will slow down considerably. I was a little concerned, you know, defensively in that stretch. Um, it was probably the area that slipped the most. Um, and even then, you know, the Jazz had stretches in those games where they guarded really well. So it's just a matter, I think, more than anything, this rest and not just not just physical rest, but mental rest to get away from it. I mean, hell, I'm the I'm the pre, half, and post guy, and I was famished. I was exhausted. I needed a break, you know. So I'm 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 working on my R and R right now, and I can't even imagine what the guys must feel like. So they're uh, they'll come out of the break, in it, but it's really important. You want to maintain momentum, and the only way you can do that is to, to continue to play well. Um, but this Jazz team's really, really focused, and, and I actually kind of like this new addition because it, it'll require guys to be really engaged, and, and they'll be a part of this where they bring Ilyasova along, and while they're doing that, you know, it'll help them keep their heads where they need to be. And, um, but, I, but I like all the direction that this is pointing. I like the way that the schedule stacks up for sure. So watching that BYU-Gonzaga game and watching uh, what you say about the real estate they were willing to give up, yeah. uh, Quinn Snyder always talks about pickup points. And, you know, for people who haven't played and haven't gotten into this, and, and PK's real, always really into the mental aspect. You know, when do you think you can do something and when do you think you can't? Because that'll decide a big chunk of whether you can do it or not. And I thought Gonzaga in the first half let BYU bring the ball right to the three-point line and run their offense. And they could swing the ball from side to side, and the ball never really left the three-point line. In the second half, the pickup point got extended out five, sometimes even 10 or 12 feet beyond the three-point line. And guys were uncomfortable. Guys weren't looking for shots. They were just looking not to turn the ball over and move it to the next guy and say, maybe we can get over to the other side and get a shot. Can you talk about what that does and what that does to shooters' confidence? Yeah, it's really an astute point, and I saw it right from the beginning. You know, I mean, really the indicator on offense, BYU runs a lot of dribble handoffs. And, you know, like you said, those dribble handoffs were right at the three-point line. And those are such great attack areas as an offense. That's where you want to be. You want to be really spaced, but you you want to be, you know, part of being on attack is is owning that that kind of intermediate space. And BYU did that really well in the first half, and I thought, again, Zaga kind of, lost that battle. It was interesting because I knew Mark Few would light them up. Uh, you know, the one thing he he won't stand for is bad effort, and uh, I think that's one of his, his real um, – and I don't necessarily think it was his bad effort as much as maybe they, they were just a little bit lax and BYU was just on fire. And, you know, as BYU continued to make shots, it really does get frustrating. So by – Going into the locker room, I knew Mark would jump them, and I knew they'd come out with a ton of energy. And you know, I almost expected in that that start of that second half, BYU would get some back doors because that's really the key to breaking that pressure. Um, but what ended up happening is BYU just got pushed out more on the floor, 
their backs were to the basket. You know, like you mentioned, DJ, that's a really good point. Um, you know, that it was more, hey, I need to complete this handoff or pass as opposed to, uh, you know, let's, let's really drive, create an advantage and kick. Um, so it's a mental part of the game, and, and it's uh, a part that Gonzaga really kind of honed in hard last night in the second half. And BYU, you know, to their credit, on an 11-2 run, they didn't just roll over. They, they had one more run in them and shot and got that thing, like I said, to six minutes tied. Um, and it, it, but really the last couple minutes, Gonzaga just really kind of put the, the, the pedal down and coasted away. Uh, but that is a game within a game. Uh, real estate, you know, isn't just a, uh, a commodity. It's a part of the basketball, and whoever really wins that real estate battle has a really good chance of winning the game. So you've been out of coaching for a couple of years. Is this the time of year you miss it the most? Um, it's funny because, I, honestly, I, I miss the relationships and the associations. But I strategically walked away because I wanted to make sure there wouldn't be a whole lot of longing. And so I almost went a year longer than, than I'd planned to make sure that this was the course and the track I wanted for my life. So right now, while I enjoy it, it's more like I'm back in high school, to be honest with you. Um, I used to skip school all the time during tournament weeks to sit and watch basketball 24 um, seven. My parents would get so mad, but, it was my. It was what I loved to do, and I never forget to get in the USA Today. You know, the Monday of after selection Sunday, and it had a whole section. Everything broke down of every team, strengths, weaknesses, bracket. You know, who they suggest maybe some upsets, picks. I just love to dive into that. So, what I would say is I don't miss it from, you know, the, the coaching seat. What I'm really doing is being able to appreciate it again as a fan, which is really cool. So is Gonzaga going to do it? Are they going to win it all? Are they going to go undefeated? Because you probably go back to, I don't, I don't know how old you are, high school, junior high. How old were you when Indiana went 76. undefeated? I was uh, six years old, Kim Benson and Quinn Buckner. A little before your time, in other words. No, I was You right were in cutting there. school at six. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Really? I was t- First grade, come on. No, I'm just joking. Come on. No, I, I just, you know what I remember about them? I remember the SI cover with Quinn Buckner and, and uh, Ken Benson. I remember that. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I hope they can because I will tell you this. There is no finer person on this planet than Mark Few, and he deserves it for what he's done. He's uh, done a great job. He's universally loved across the game, and it's hard to do that when you win. 90% of your games because you're ticking a lot of people off. Um, but it's hard to do. The reason it hasn't been done for a long time, it hasn't been done a whole lot, period, is it's really hard to do. And the NCAA tournament's all about matchups. You know, it's no different for BYU. They're, they're now sitting on pins and needles. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when we were up against it. You know, BYU had not won a tournament game. You know, you speak about all the great years BYU had in their history. Uh, and some of the great players that came through, you know, that 2001 team, they, they won the, the conference tournament, but they still did not win a game in the NCAA tournament. And so it's hard to do that. And, and it's all about matchups. So we wish, I remember sitting there and we're up against it. We want to win a game so bad in the tournament because we're so tired of hearing that BYU hadn't won one since 88. I think is that the year that they beat somebody? 
Um, well, I think Roger Reed won a game in the early 90s, but... Okay, yeah, oh, 92, 92. 92, I think it was. They beat SMU, I think, was the last win. Um, but you think about 92 to 2007, and that's how long it was before BYU won a basketball game in the NCAA tournament, and that was weighing on us so bad. And uh, we got Texas A&M. We got Texas A&M again. Okay. And then we got Florida out of the SEC in the first round. So we were having these great years. I mean, I think we won 30 games the year we beat Florida. And we still had to play a team like that, a Power 5 team who was really tough. Chandler Parsons was on that team. They were good. And we ended up beating them in overtime, and we got that monkey off our back. Um, but my point is, now you sit and wait for matchups. And for BYU, you know, they're looking at that first game um, and praying that's a great matchup for them. Gonzaga's looking, <laughs> Gonzaga's looking up and down the bracket, right? They're, they're in a different place where they're saying, okay, here's our first-round matchup, and that's going to be a 16. And then we got to look down, who's our two? Who's our four? You know, who are, who are the teams that could cause us some issues? And you get right to work on it. Um, and that's what's fun about it, man, is it now at this point you've done all your work, you put your body you know, in front of the committee, and now they're going to tell you what they think you're worth, and they're going to tell you who you got to beat. And so it's a fun time, a couple of days, and we'll know. Well, you got a few more days of R&R. Friday, we'll hear you on the Jazz pre-half and post. That's right. And uh, I miss Jake, man. I've gotten this rhythm where we're kind of like the stepbrothers. Uh, we were with each other all the time. We actually got bunk beds up there in that studio. If things get too late, we just, you know, say our prayers and jump into bed and go to sleep. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, Friday it comes. So I'm going to enjoy Wednesday and Thursday like I've never enjoyed Wednesday and Thursday before. <laughs> thank you, Tim. All right. Thank you all. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU Assistant, former Utah Staffer. Time to bring in Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. And Andrew, uh, you've told us a little bit about this, but for people who don't know, Cambridge University has been looking you over. Yes, they have. Uh, for men struggling with ED, it's in the pill. We have a new technology called Acoustic Wave. And yes, Cambridge uh, did a study, I think in 2017. They took a bunch of guys that were no longer um, getting any result from the pill. So I'm assuming severe erectile dysfunction. Uh, they put them through the treatments. They went back, tested results, did x-rays, and they said in their words, every single guy tested received an increase in blood flow. Pretty cool stuff. There's 40 other clinical studies that have similar results. If you're out there struggling with ED or you just want to improve things, you want more blood flow, more frequency in the bedroom. We have helped so many guys at Wasatch Medical. Uh, typically, just a few treatments over two to three weeks. That is it. You'd be done. So you've, uh, you've talked before about this, the top causes of ED. For guys who are saying, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Yeah, yeah uh, we see a lot of diabetes, prostate issues. But I will say that it's just kind of the way a man ages. Uh, just because you have ED doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. The American lifestyle, you know, kind of causes our blood vessels to harden up, uh, shrivel a little bit, and this is a blood flow problem. The number one leading cause of ED is damaged and restricted blood vessels. 
And that is what our treatments are trying to repair. All right, you got a special deal for listeners. Tell them all about it. We do. If you're out there struggling with ED, you want to throw those pills away, improve things with your significant other, uh, we really believe in delivering a lot of value. Um, We're going to do the exam, uh, the consultation, even the blood flow ultrasound with our doctor at no charge. Uh, We're doing uh, the special gift. It produces immediate results in the bedroom. You'll love that. And new patients get free testosterone, a ton of value. Give us a call now. It's all no charge. Guys, you can call Wasatch Medical right now. You can claim that offer at 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. The phone number for Wasatch Medical, 801-901-8000. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Tim LaCombe. What type of Mike Conley are we going to get now to finish the season after getting his first all-star bid and having kind of the start to the season that he's had? He's a guy who's been undersold a lot in his career. I mean, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are so impressive over his entire career. You know, he's joined the Jazz. You know, he had a difficult time transitioning to a new place and a new system. So, like, I think what we're seeing and what we're going to see in the second half is just more Mike Conley, which to me is toughness, grit, determination, and a whole lot of understanding of who he is. I think he lives for the big moment. I'm telling you, on a national stage when, you know, kind of an uninvited guest, and he showed up and darn near stole the three-point contest. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, dander, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. If you want the contaminants gone, call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpets Zero Res clean. But minimums apply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online at Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. But no maximums apply. That's the great thing. So you hear Tim Lacombe talk about BYU and building a program and how do you catch Gonzaga... Uh-huh. Did it change uh-huh. yeah. anything in your mind? Did it illuminate a point you had not perhaps fully considered? Uh, I don't know what illuminate means. That's fancy words right Thank there. You. <laughs> well, yeah, he went right to the mohawk and facial hair. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Is that going to be a hurdle they have to clear to build a program, or is that hurdle going to be removed? Because there's plenty of hurdles that everybody faces. I mean, there's a reason Gonzaga's 26-0 and handled Virginia and West Virginia and Kansas. There's plenty of basketball hurdles. Are you going to put other hurdles in the program's way? Well, they're already there. I well, don't know that you're putting you're, – they already Apparently exist. one's been removed because now a guy can have a mohawk, and it's not a big deal unless it's – I don't know. A big deal because some. I, I guess someone in Vegas would have uh, yeah, shaved his head for a big deal after Monday. I don't know. I, I disagree. If you have four guys with mohawks, one guy has a mohawk, and it's been it's been mentioned yep. multiple times. One we guy. all we all noticed it. I noticed it. You noticed it. Like what? You well, you just got a guy with a mohawk. Huh. And Averett had his hair in a little bit of a bun all season, and I heard about that too. These are things that get talked about. And they get letters. They get criticism. Just like Tim said, this is stuff I've been hearing for 25 years. I'm a dope, but I'm an honest dope. Hmm. People trust me. And so they tell me stuff because they know I'm not going to give them up. Under any circumstance, am I ever going to give up anybody? Never. We'll never do it. And I hear these things. And these are already there. 
These are obstacles that already exist and have existed. Kelly Olenek could have never played at BYU. Do you realize that? That's a problem. Because of the the hair, if you're wondering, people. Yes. Oh, not for the talent. He's been in the NBA. He's not a star. But how long has he been in the NBA now? Not a decade, but pretty close. Maybe eight years. Just taking a shot. And you know me, I'm a little him. (laughs) Well, it's... He's a Gonzaga guy. Yep. I believe he came one of the earlier pros that they had out of uh, Canada, I think it was. And he's had the long hair. So that's what's going to be interesting to see what Mark Pope, as he continues to explore beyond the traditional way of BYU. I mean, look at it, man. If you include Loner as a transfer since he signed with Utah, they had five transfers that they started and have been starting. Now, the the BYU fan who wants them to win has no qualms whatsoever. I personally have. I couldn't care less. There are Cougar fans in their car right now who are shaking their head like, why are you talking about this? I don't care. Right. But Lacombe mentions how they would get letters and stuff. And this Harvard hair has already been mentioned. The hair. The mohawk. I care about him making baskets and Ding up and getting rebounds. That's what I care about. I don't really care about the other stuff. But there are people out the BYU way. I'm telling you, Steve Cleveland got ripped big time for it when he brought in Ron Solis. Big time got ripped. It was a big deal at the time. I remember it well. People were writing about it and talking about it. It was a big deal. Okay, so here's the difference. In that era, people, you know, BYU gets whatever feedback. And whatever, and so Steve ends up going a different way. But does Pope, do they hear about it now, but they don't have to go a different way? I mean, you mentioned Averitt's hair. Well, he's worn his hair like that all year. Well, if he was wearing it like that all year, nobody made him change it. That's different than telling a guy to go shave 20 minutes before a game. So if uh, someone is the COVID a, thing with people not being on campus and whatnot, I wonder if it's just the as you would say your one-off spiel. Yeah, and that's the thing is like people could still talk about it, but if there's an administrator there to kind of shield and say, "Listen, I'll talk to these folks. You keep doing what you're doing," because it's just not that big a deal. So if they're in that place, then whoever gets upset gets upset, but it doesn't really impact the program if that's the way things are going. Yeah, well, then it comes down to the people who are forking over the cash, man. Money talks. At all times, money talks. Okay. Everything is driven by money. That's where I would say it's not the <laughs> one-off then, because it's one thing when you're on campus, but those folks, they're not on campus running these guys. They're seeing them at games, and they're certainly watching these games on TV, and, and they've, seen, they've seen the Mohawk, they've seen how whoever wears their hair, whatever. They've seen that. If they're not pushing back right now, then maybe it goes back to what Lacombe says, is like there's an evolution, and that's one hurdle, and there are others. But that's one hurdle that apparently doesn't have to be cleared anymore. Mm. Okay. Unless you're right, and it is one-off, and next year it's going to be a big <laughs> deal, and people are going to have to change. And then a recruit talks to a player, and the recruit hears something. I mean, there's no question at Arizona that recruits heard stuff from players over time. He had to change how he recruited. He changed who he was getting. 
You know, and it, and obviously he's been. You know, there's an NCAA investigation. Is he going to keep his job? And that's impacting his recruiting too. But over time, that stuff adds up. At the start, a coach preaches his vision. And that's the most important thing in recruiting. It doesn't matter if it's football or basketball. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Power Five or somebody who's just made the move up a level. The coach preaches his vision, and that's a determining thing. But you start getting down the road three, four, five years in, now players want to know, okay, what was it like for you? And they found out on the recruiting visit, these guys text each other because they know each other off the AAU circuit. And then that becomes the most important thing because the coach can say whatever, but now he's got a track record. And what does his track record say? Yeah, but I don't think BYU's ever going to get those types of players anyway that okay, you're talking so, about. So now if you're not getting those it's types It's always of... going to be the transfers. It's going to be the disenfranchised guys mm-hmm. in location A who want to go to location B. So it's not they're never going to be in the running for these hotshot AAU kids. It's not going to happen. So unless they're LDS and those are the ones. But mm-hmm. the others not don't don't worry about that because that's not going to be re- your recruiting uh, avenue. Gonzaga's built a lot off of transfers, but not purely off of transfers. If you're really going to go with five transfers, I just don't think you can catch Gonzaga. Okay, and probably not. But then, so then you have to ask yourself: for BYU, is what is acceptable as success defined by the NCAA tournament, and not necessarily? Yeah, well. success or long-running success in the NCAA tournament because we're building up Pope as this great coach for BYU, and I think he is, and it's justifiable. I have no idea what would have happened in the NCAA tournament last year, but he would have gone, deservedly so. So in terms of NCAA tournament, he's two for two. Yes. Now, is that it? See, because he's two for two, we're thinking, and the general thinking is, all right, man, he's making progress. And they beat Gonzaga once. This year, the best team Gonzaga's ever had. He was tied with them with just a handful of minutes to go. That's progress. All right, is, so is that progress going to continue to be incremental? Because if it is, well, then everyone's going to be ecstatic. But has he already reached the uh, level that BYU's going to flatten out? And that is that where we're going to be with the program? Which is not a bad place to be. But everybody wants more. Well, I think that Tim hit the nail on the head when he said, uh, you know, basically everyone knows BYU can be an NCAA tournament team, and probably they can be an NCAA tournament team as often as they miss. Maybe they can be an NCAA tournament team a little more often than they miss. You know, to your point, in football you always say, well, if you can beat your rivals 7 out of 10, you know, if you can beat a conference opponent's, Seven out of ten, you're pretty happy. Can BYU go to an NCAA tournament six or seven times in a decade? Might be a little high-end. Doesn't seem like a big stretch. Might be a little bit of a stretch, but not much. But Tim said, we heard, why don't you win a game? you got to win when you get there. That, I think, is the question. You don't, if Gonzaga is going to stay an Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four program, I don't think BYU is catching them. I just don't think they are. But if BYU gets to the point where they routinely win a game or two in the tournament and it's not a surprise, that's a step forward. Because okay, but right now winning is, a game, winning a game is a big that? deal. They've never done that. So now you're going to have them do that? Yeah, I think that's the question. That, and that's they the haven't question. gotten Pope, in the field Pope's of been there two years since 2012. Right. Can they do it in the WCC era? Because basically what you're saying is they did it in the Mountain West era pretty consistently, and they had some Mountain West guys when they first made the move, so they still did it, and then they didn't. 
Now, is Pope going to be able to win a tournament game? He's two years into this, and because of the pandemic, guy still hasn't coached in an NCAA tournament game. He's zero and zero in the tourney. So, yes, I think he can. It just depends on how much latitude they're going to give him, because he's going away from the BYU model. And how far do you get to go before before you get a phone call? Well, uh, depending on their appearance and the violations. That's real talk. Is hair going to be that big a hurdle? It is for some. Right, but I'm, I'm saying for the program. I, I get that there'll always be some BYU fan out there who calls or writes and complains. Depends on which administrator is. Well, it's, yeah, it's, to, it, this is, I yeah. mean, a BYU fan didn't go to a prominent player 20 minutes before kickoff and said, cut your hair. Uh, no BYU fan did that. That was a BYU official going to a coach who then had to go to the player. And sheepishly and embarrassing had to go to the player 20 minutes before kickoff. And then it wasn't a fan. There's a kid down at uh, Arizona State. Uh, uh, what's his name? Robertson? Mer- Merlin He's a linebacker. Yep. And he had a kid as a senior in high school. And he was interested in BYU. And they told him, you can't recruit the kid. That's not a fan. So it's not, it's not what some fan is saying. And th- this is stuff that was told to me point blank about that. And well, they that's couldn't not, recruit that's, they that's couldn't not the only time. There's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up the story. You're going to have to tell it because you're going to get it better. But there was some conversation at the Huntsman Center, and someone pointed up at the banners and all the retired numbers for the Utes, and they were like, I don't know, was it three, ba- three guys? Four. four. Okay, four. Who could have gone to the Y, except, wait, look at the backstory. No, they couldn't have. Well, they had kids. Most of them had kids. Were all of them? Did all of them have kids in college? Uh, or most of them? That, that was the joke. Yeah. To, to get your jersey retired, you had to be first team All-American and have a kid out of wedlock. <laughs> or get a kid, get, get a girl pregnant while you were at the U of U. And that was the joke among the players. So, again, criticize me all you want on that. But that was the running joke. Uh, and I, I actually I don't even know. If, I, don't, I don't know if those kids were BYU interested. I don't, I'd never heard that connection. So I don't know anything about that. That's two different things. I don't know if they were interested in BYU at all, uh, what the story was there. Uh, so... Those are, these are all issues. I'm, I'm just wondering, has, has, BYU, has Mark Pope already pushed up against uh, BYU's limit? DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Stay with us. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. And we'll talk about the Jazz, the latest acquisition with him on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sarah Todd, she covers the Jazz for the Deseret News. I don't think we have any reason to be worried about the Jazz and their positioning in the league. There's no reason to doubt their talent or their skill level or, or even to look back on what they've been able to do so far in the first half of the season and think that it was a fluke. I think the second half of the season is obviously going to be more telling than the first half. That's when they want to be playing their best basketball. The season progresses. You know, this team is incredibly talented and they've been doing a lot of things at such a high level and the fact of the matter is they are 
the winningest team in the league this season. And until they give me a reason to really doubt them, I'm not. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Got Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report coming up. PK, what do you think during this all-star break here? Do you think people really get away from it? Do you think coaches, I mean, Quinn Snyder, but any coach really, uh, do you think they go a day without texting a player or thinking about an inbounds play? Do they really unplug, refresh in that and just completely shut it down? Would you buy that if one of them told you that? No. They're still thinking about it. I would if a player told me about it. But not an administrator, not a coach, not a general manager, not a front office person. No, I don't think the job ever ends, and I don't think it's ever that far from your mind. Uh, yeah, I can totally see maybe, it. Maybe, you know, when you get into August. Maybe, yeah, maybe then. I can see, even even then I wonder, though, because yeah. the, the, front office, the front office people, if they can get away from the team itself – if you're still res- have some any level of responsibility for the draft, there's big college games going on. So you're watching guys. So you're you're not away from it. So it'd have to be more a coach. I would never buy not it out of the front of office. Year. Yeah. And and the thing is with the international tournaments, or, yeah. you know, there's not there, there's a little bit of time, but even August, you know, early September, late July, whenever free agency end before the guys come back to town. I don't even know how much they get to unplug then. I mean, hopefully they do for a week or two, but there's still international tournaments to watch. And Why? Because you're going to draft these guys. Is I, don't, some, I wouldn't say hopefully. Uh, no, no I, you, I wouldn't say hopefully. If you don't want to do it, don't get in it. Yeah, you got to unplug at some point, though. You're human. Don't you have to shut it down at some point? But I don't, I don't think guys really yeah, shut it down for a month. Yeah. I'm still waiting for that first vacation my father took from his two jobs as a janitor. Come on, man. <laughs> it's, why should they be any different? You don't think he was worried his whole time about uh, his jobs and how he was going to be able to uh, pay the bills and all that stuff? Why should they be any different? Who gets away from it? <laughs> I, don't, you, I don't see that as you don't, realistic. You don't ever get away from it? People get away from their jobs. Go on vacation, not answer any texts. You still think about it. We're in a sports business, right? Thankfully, gratefully, for sure. And do you think I disconnect from sports for a week? I gotta say, never. I've, I've gone. Absolutely I've gone never. To, I've gone to Hawaii. And my wife talks about me unplugging, but I've also watched the NBA Finals in Hawaii. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It's two o'clock there, three o'clock in the afternoon, and the championship is starting. What? I've watched the NBA Finals in Mexico, and what I did on that was uh, they had uh, staying in a nice Marriott, and uh, they have a workout room, and I would plan instead of doing it in the morning. I would plan to do it in the evening because they had televisions. Hit the treadmill and watch the game. So, no. Well, me is bench press, obviously. Clearly. But, uh, so, no. Get get away completely, 100%. Who does that? Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report, is coming up next. Stay with us.